0: Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. Hi, this is your get, your host, Tom Heston with The Revenue Hustle, and I'm excited to bring Mike Weir as our next guest on the podcast. Mike, welcome to The Revenue Hustle.
1: Thanks so much, Tom. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm really excited to have a conversation with you, Mike, and you've got a really interesting background that we're going to dive into today. Um, currently, you're the Chief Revenue Officer at G2, and uh, why don't you give us a full intro um, about yourself?
1: Absolutely. So I joined G2 just over two years ago as the Chief Revenue Officer to help as uh, we continue to scale our global software marketplace, uh, working with all of our clients globally via our Uh, customer success, sales, and partnerships organization. Prior to that, I'd spent eight years at LinkedIn, helping uh, build out a portion of the LinkedIn marketing solutions business. And before that, I was actually a marketer in tech for a decade plus. Uh, Most notably, I had spent a lot of years at CDW, helping build out some of the segment marketing across the government team and the commercial division.
0: So marketer turned CRO, huh?
1: Absolutely. I it think is. there's
0: a are you a unicorn?
1: <laughs> um I I would say probably so. There's not just one, but it is there's a few, yeah. Sort of rare from what I'm finding.
0: Now that's great perspective. Um well great. Well, you know how we do this on the, the revenue hustle? We do revenue rules. So why don't you uh let us know what your first revenue rule is?
1: Sales cannot do it alone. Okay, I think this Unpacked is that. Yeah, this is really, really embodying the entirety of my career. I think uh, what I found as I transitioned over to the sales side uh, was I learned a heck of a lot of what I didn't truly, truly get when I was on the marketing side. And when you're on the marketing side, you're constantly, hopefully, if you're a good marketer, battling to build a really good relationship with the sales organization to understand how do we create a unified Mm go-to-market? Because sales they can do a lot, but they cannot build an amazing customer experience at massive global scale on their own. They need marketing's help and marketing absolutely needs sales help. And so that's one of the biggest rules that I've been focused on since the beginning of my career is making sure that there's a really good alignment between marketing and sales to create a go-to-market that helps your customers and informs your prospects of why they should be working with you.
0: Yeah, and I think there's probably a tendency for sales to sometimes think they can do it because again, they're doing prospecting, right? So they're kind of doing their own mini marketing, right? Which is just outbound you know, sort of activities. Um, tell me about what you're saying about how sales, you know, they can't build this experience on their own. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Or what did you see them trying to do?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I think that well, in the early days when I transitioned, you know, when I was at CDW, I think a lot of it was just uh, make more calls, talk to more people. It's like, well, this, you know, this is a really difficult to scale model. If you have to hire thousands and thousands of people to own every single customer interaction. And so that's the the foundational one is like, hey, just let go a bit, let others do a more scaled education and outreach approach. Uh, for example, at, at uh, G two, we're you know we're launching G two University, and it's all about helping educate customers on how to use our platform exceptionally well. Now, do I want my CSMs, my RMs having those conversations with customers? Yeah, but do I also want marketing to do an amazing job of packaging up all the best practices, all the latest and greatest, and helping advocate for that at scale? To all of my customers do I want them helping me include that in every onboarding experience absolutely because frankly as a CRO I know there's chinks in the armor I know some people are not going to have that conversation right but I want the customer to know it and I know some people are just not going to be good at having that conversation so them having learning materials that they can share also helps them grow and get better at having really productive conversations. And so it's, you know, it's a really practical example of one of the things that we're doing right now to pair, you know, scaled education to help all of our global clients, all of our brand new customers to really ramp up, to really use the platform on their own time without having to interact with my sales pods if they don't need to.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great example of, you know, The benefit of marketing and digital marketing now being able to reach you know hundreds or thousands of people with a consistent message right whereas with sales right it's a or or your cs organization it's a very different delivery mechanism right which it'll come out invariably it'll be different with every person now be a more personalized conversation maybe more tailored but again you can't scale that and you can't control the quality so it's a great um, example, as you
1: said, to, of bringing marketing's abilities and pairing it with sales and CES. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's tons of them, but that's just a, a very recent one that I'm excited about. That's that's launching here. Um, so.
0: And so, what are some of the other challenges you've seen with that? You know, again, your perspective of being a marketer, having gone to sales. What were some of those eye-opening things um, that you may not have realized as a marketer that now, you know, shaped your perspective as a CRO?
1: Yeah. Uh, One thing I was one thing I got, but I got it way better after I transitioned was I got the conflict of who gets credit. And as a marketer, I wanted to make sure we weren't taking too much credit because it's the most infuriating thing when you're on the sales side and you've been working with a customer for nine months on an opportunity. And all of a sudden, a lead comes in. And marketing's like, "Boom! I did that." And it's like, uh, "No, I've been having nine months of conversations <laughs> about this. Like, thanks, you know, thanks for the additional. Like, hey, it got me a new contact. You know, got them some new information that I hadn't talked to them about. Like, so there's an assist here. but Right. right. You know, please don't come in and claim credit and celebrate how marketing made this, you know, five hundred thousand dollar deal happen. So that principle of like who gets credit is typically the first point of unraveling in marketing and sales alignment. The, the part that I got better when I came over to the revenue side is a concept um, that I've written and talked to, to clients about is just sales saturation. I don't think marketers are always thinking about how much time it takes to properly follow up on a lead to properly work an opportunity and help educate a customer. And typically a multi-threaded opportunity, like it's not just one person, you're talking to multiple, if not even dozens of people at a company to work on a single opportunity. And so the, the relationship starts breaking down when you're not thinking about sales saturation. How many leads, how many opportunities am I routing over to any given salesperson? And do they actually have the time to work on them? Because that's the other point of friction that, that bubbles up a ton with, you know, a revenue marketing team. They're like, dude, I've sent over a thousand gold leads. Like these are amazing. It's like, yeah, but you know, 200 of them have gone to the same, like five people. They don't have time to work on those leads. So like, Hey, there's a breakdown here. I need to distribute them better potentially, I need you to focus on other segments, other regions for now, while we work through some of this, but you're ultimately starting to create through lack of communication and lack of alignment on the tracking of your programs and go to market where one team is claiming success. And the other team is like, no, this ain't working. Right.
0: And, and so where are you seeing, you know, we, we all know that buyers are doing more and more research online before they ever talk to sales. Maybe they don't even want to talk to sales, but that's still the predominant method to buy enterprise, you know, software or um, a service like G2, you know, so how are you managing that kind of just buying dynamic between partnering with marketing
1: and, and the sales team? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, hundred percent true. All the research Uh, from my LinkedIn days, uh, and then even my G2 days has shown buyers, they want to control. I think everybody has their stat, but it's like 80% of the process, right? They want to do a ton of research. We see it on G2 within our own buyer experience data all the time. They will go deep into the process before they start doing comparisons, before they start the bake-off and engage with a vendor. So to me, what that means is it further reinforces why sales can't do this alone. You're gonna be highly inefficient trying to get somebody on the phone who is not ready ready to talk to you. You can be efficient in still getting them access to the educational materials that they need to learn about your solution, about your approach, about your advantages. And so really engaging in different ways via digital means where marketing is a huge, huge partner in this process that creates the materials that become accessible and they build presence in the place that these companies, that these prospects, that the contacts we're working with are organically going, right? So you mentioned G2 is a place people go. So, you know, building your presence in G2, building out your voice and presence in platforms like LinkedIn for B2B focused companies, especially, it's like, this is where they're at Right. to go and be a part of the conversation, be accessible. Don't gate all of your content. That was one of the first things we started changing. It was like, all right, if they don't want to talk to me, then I can't put up this artificial barrier that prevents them from learning about me and why they should care, why they should eventually talk to me. And then the second really big one is, you know, again, part of what we've focused a ton on, it's intent signals. Like using intent signals to understand how far along in the process is a prospect's what is a customer focused on right now so that you can increase the relevance of your outreach and you can be timely. Right, right, Don't reach out too early. Don't reach out too late. Make sure that you're on point with your message and talking about something that they actually care about when you do reach out.
0: Yeah. And I think that's an important part about where maybe I've seen the shift from marketing to sales is that we're trying to, you know, sales wants quality, right? Of In terms of the, Let's call it the leads that marketing would provide, right? Whereas historically, marketing has been incentivized in more volume metrics, where that's starting to, you know, shift over time to be, you know, the marketing may again sign up for a revenue number, right? Or how much how much revenue is marketing contributing? It gets back to your whole point about, you know, um, who gets the credit, right? That's where some of that friction comes in. But it's this idea that you know, if, if marketing can focus on quality, right. And, and that's what sales wants. Those are the deals are likely gonna close anyway, right? So like, how have you navigated this, this, this sort of,
1: you know, dynamic between marketing and sales? Yeah, we do planning together. We do monthly pipeline reviews together. And we talk about what are the conversion rates looking like across the entire funnel? by the three channels from an acquisition perspective by the three channels that are contributing to that pipeline so we're we're not just looking at hey marketing what are you giving us like you know help us out it's what's going on within the marketing channel what's going on within our business development channel what's going on within our kind of ae sourced direct channel and we're looking at conversion rates we're looking at progression of of leads we're looking at progression of you know, meetings booked to then progressing into opportunities. And so having that joint planning that sets goals together where we actually sit down and say, here's what our aspiration is for acquisition revenue this year. Look at our historic conversion rates. Now let's back our way into what should the marketing goal be? What should the BDR goal be? What should the AE specific goal be? And then we look at, you know, on the marketing side, they are focused a ton on quality right now. Like we actually have said, if you could deliver, and um, Amanda Melko, our CMO, and I just literally talked about this, like if we could just increase conversion percent by like five points, that's gonna prevent us from having to source you know, X hundreds more leads. Right. right. And I would rather source really quality leads, get my team into quality conversations with folks that are ready, with, with folks that are interested, not with folks that we're going to annoy for like three months while they're trying to educate themselves. Right, right. Right. Cause I've been that person that gets super annoyed. I get a little prickly sometimes with all the BDR outreach to me, that's uh, cheesy and bad. So it's like, I don't want my team to be put in that situation. I want our prospects to have a good experience. So we are kind of yeah. optimizing the funnel and really thinking about quality first. Well, and
0: I, and I, and I completely get that. I mean, especially as sales, you don't want to work stuff that, you know, isn't ready, right? It's a waste of time, all those sorts of things. Um, what are some of the signals that you know or how do you define what's ready, right? Because we had, you know, for the longest mm-hmm. time we had kind of these lead scoring systems, right? this digital footprint. Oh, well, they looked here, they didn't go to the career page. You know, they spent you know we add up all these points. Um, like how do you think about you know lead readiness or or kind of lead quality before? Okay, <clears throat> now it's time to pass yeah. that to sales.
1: Yeah, um, we're still evolving our thinking on this, but we use uh, many of the techniques that you just referred to, right? I don't, I don't know if I've seen, even in folks that have absolutely amazing acquisition engines. And I think, I mean, Zoom Info has built such a strong of you know, market engagement process themselves, and of course their products support it. Um, but you know, even there, you kind of struggle with the signals, not always adding up, but the signals can be incredibly, incredibly valuable at getting a lot more qualified at bats. So we do start with what are the signals showing us? Like we're not going to route stuff just because they came to a webinar, right? We're going to put nurture streams in place that create multiple points of engagement that create the opportunity for us us to ask some custom questions because ultimately we want to see that the signals show they are far enough along that they might want to engage with a salesperson to learn more. And so we're we're kind of bucketing: is this thought leadership content? Is this more mm. middle funnel content? You know, how many engagement points do they have? Is it the same person? Is it different people across the organization? All of this means like, hey, it could be ten people that are looking, but they're all looking at early stage stuff because it's a brand new tech that they're kicking around the idea of like, eh, should we we look at buying this? And like, I always throw out like virtualization back in the day, you know, there was so many signals that this was a massive, massive market, but it was all people figuring out what the heck is virtualization? Right. right, It's like cool buzzword, don't know what it means. And then cloud came out and the same stuff. So there's, you know, there's some false signals if you're just looking at people engaging with thought leadership content, It's false signals if it's just volume of people, because again, they could be looking all at educational materials. So we wanna kind of blend the number of people, the type of content that they're engaging with and the BAMP criteria. It's very tried and true, like budget, authority, need, timeline. And so if we actually get answers to those questions via custom questions within forms or via RPDR uh, or SCR outreach even, Then those signals all add up to say, okay, great. Now we're going to put you in contact. The one thing that we use, like a lot of other software companies that circumvents the whole process is if a client just directly says, I want a demo. And so we, we love giving the option for, you know, a couple of different call to actions, do you want a demo or do you want to learn more? Right. It's like, Hey, this is choose your own adventure. If you want to learn more, totally fine. Like when you're ready for a demo. It's there. Make the request. We'll get it booked right away. Get that demo, and you know, see how ready you are uh, to work with us or any other software company.
0: Well, yeah, I'm curious because I have a strong perspective on this. Is um, when they say, "I, you know, I want a demo," right? That's like the the tried and true software call to action. What do you think the customer really is saying, you know, or what their expectation is? Um, and oftentimes, it's the first conversation right? It's kind of, you're right. So what, how have you coached sales team to think about what, what does that meeting look like when someone says, I want a demo?
1: Yeah. We want to make sure we open that conversation either in email leading up to it. It's like, Hey, thanks for booking the, the meeting with us. Like we use different scheduling tools. So it's like, Hey, thanks for booking that meeting with us. What are you hoping to get out of this? What are you most interested in learning about? So either via an email in advance or at the beginning of the call, it's like, I need to know what is your expectation for this demo? And then I've got to go in that direction. If I have time, I'm trying to weave in some of my core messages and pivot it back to some other things that I want to try to accomplish. But more than anything, we want to coach our team to try and just meet their objective. Yeah, They're asking for this for a purpose. If they just want to know about like from a G two perspective, they just want to know about our review platform experience, how that guides you know their position on our research grids to validate them as you know a momentum leader, an overall leader. It's like great, let's just talk about that. If they want to dive in right away to like how does buyer intent with G two work, how is it different? Show it to me. It's like great, yeah. we're gonna go there. The problem I see with you know demos and I've done many of these, is like they're on script, they go through the standard, they can't deviate, and I walk off the call with more questions than I came to it with. Right, right. And that's it, that's it, a yeah. huge failed experience.
0: Well, and I find that more often than not, people, when they say request a demo, it is like, I have questions, I'm interested, in, and I want to, I, I, you know, it's not like, show me how the software works. It's usually not what... Now, again, there is there are times like that. And that's where you you see grumpy people online talking, you know, on LinkedIn about, you know, I don't, I, I want to see the software, right. But oftentimes as a seller, you know, or, or a lot of times as buyers, they don't know what they're seeing, right. So if, if they looked at, you know, my software at nine lenses, or someone else's software that looks like ours, they're not smart enough to interpret the differences or the nuances, because they're operating at like 20% knowledge, right. So if it, you know, so like, I'm always of the opinion of, I call it a solution presentation, like a demo to me is a solution presentation where Mm -hmm. I'm going to show you how my software is going to solve your problems. Otherwise, it's just kind of like a harbor tour. And you're like, just cruising around the harbor. And you're like, well, here's this feature and module. And and, and they may ask some questions, but it's never connected to a problem, right? And then they go off and and they take that 20% knowledge of understanding and say, oh, that's not a fit for me because of X, Y, and Z, but they're really not informed or, or they don't have the ability to make that final conclusion.
1: Yeah. You make an excellent point because <clears throat> a poorly run demo can qualify you out when it's the exact opposite that you're trying. You're trying to qualify yourself in. Yeah. And it is it is wise for everybody to think about what's the question you can be asking to so just simply assess what knowledge is the individual coming in with, and you know, we we use very simple questions like, do like do you know G two? What do you know us for? Have you worked with us before? Okay, great. Like, give me some of the basic context. Now let's talk about like what caught your interest, so we can hone in on that to start. Yeah. And then time allowing, mean, we'll broaden it back out to tell more of our story, more of our capabilities. But I, I hear you 100 percent like harbor analogy is great. If you're just doing a tour at the end of it, you may feel good like, oh, that was an interesting tour. But you're going to have no idea or recollection of what the landmarks are you just saw because you're just sitting there like just saw a bunch of stuff. Seemed kind of cool. Yeah, but, right, right. You know, like I'm, I'm going to head home now.
0: Exactly. So that's that's something I've learned over time just with, with demos. And, and it's hard to get right because, again, people come in now with more knowledge. Some people like to engage early. Some people like to engage late, right? And, and you have to kind of know what you're dealing with. And if you get it wrong with either one of those buyers, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. So, um now, I'm just kind of curious, because uh, you you kind of hand that, you own that handoff. And, and um, you know, one other question, just as a CRO, there's a lot written about pre-qualifying leads before sending them to the AE, right? Like, how do you think about, you know, a lead comes in, you know, does a BDR have to get on the phone, do the band conversation, you know? before that goes to an AE, or if let's say someone says like, I, I want a demo, does that go straight to the AE or does someone still have to kind of do the pre-qualification? Cause you still could have those friction points um, with the buyer experience if you're not giving them what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, you know, we try to use tech as much as possible to create a frictionless process. And if somebody wants to have a demo, then as we're doing the demo forms, like we want to increasingly use things like scheduling tools to say, okay, great. It's in your control. Like you want a demo, click this button, schedule it right away based on when works for you, right? If you want to meet tomorrow, if you want to meet in two weeks, great. So trying to use technology to create, you know, as seamless of a process as possible to have them be able to get on the phone with somebody. So that does mean we will kind of circumvent. It doesn't have to go A to B to C, like we will circumvent B and go right to C, which is the AE in this case. If, somebody says like, I just want to demo. I'm like, okay, great. Our AEs are the experts at demoing our platform and getting in depth. If we see signals, right? Like we actually look at, there's a group of accounts that we kind of wall off and say, hey, these are really important clients or really strategic prospects that we're hoping to prove our value to. If this criteria is met, they should go immediately to the AE. Yeah. If the criteria isn't met, but it's the right account, then maybe it's going to go to the BDR first, or it might go into a nurture stream. If it feels like too early, somebody's just kicking the tires, trying to learn a little bit. It's like great, you know, put them into a nurture stream, get them some additional content. And then eventually the signal rises and we'll route it over appropriately. But we do have some circumvention in our process right now because it's, yeah, it's super frustrating. It's like, hey, I just want to get a demo. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, first you have to earn the right for a demo by talking to one of our BDRs. It's like, no, I'm just not yeah. going to take that call. I'm not showing up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no, that's smart. I think that's the right way to do it. Um, well, great. That's a great rule. What's your second revenue rule, Mike?
1: Yeah, right now, more than ever, retention is the new growth lever. I think we've spent a lot of time and I've used many analogies that refer to a prospect universe, which is fantastic. And we all love growing our market share. We all love working with more and more companies, but in tough economic times, it's always incredibly important to remind ourselves that our customers should be our biggest focus and that we need to focus a little bit less on acquisition and we need to keep our eye on the ball, especially when you're in the type of product where adoption dictates whether or not somebody's going to stay As a long-term customer with you too many software companies too many services companies too many other platforms they're just happy to get the sale handed off and then they're not supporting their customers
0: yeah and, and i i totally make sense to me i mean i totally get that i mean it's it's i guess a shame that it takes like bad economic times to then be like, Oh, we got to treat our customers better, but it's natural. I mean, I, I mean, I get it because we're all growth oriented, right? We all have these growth numbers we have to hit. And, you know, we know the, you know, the, the, the tale of it's easier to grow an existing customer than a acquiring a new one, but yet we're always fascinated with new logo acquisition. And I think that's just always part of it. Like, how do you see the, like what changes like in an organization to double down on their customers or, you know. Are you just doing more of the same or, or are there new processes or value things that are delivered? Like, how does that manifest itself differently? Yeah.
1: yeah, I think one of the foundational things is just where you're investing your dollars in people, technology, and process. The, I mean, the people side of the house, if I'm really, really concerned about helping my customers be successful on G2 then I'm doing what I did since I got here. I'm tripling the number of people within my customer success organization. I am making sure that I have individuals who just live and breathe, giving advice, guiding, bringing new ideas to our customers. And from a process perspective, we're using technology to be able to funnel signals to our team that says, hey, here's the next best action right? Like it could be a warning alert or it could be a celebration alert. It's like something is going wrong with this relationship. And if you're managing multiple relationships, heck, even if you're just working with like one or two enterprises, you're working with probably a couple hundred people. So it's like, you got a lot of stuff to juggle. I want to help use technology and process to surface insights to you on who you could focus on about what and when, in a similar manner to what we're trying to do in the prospect universe. But we just actually have a lot more data and we have a lot more timely data to surface this for the people that are working with customers every day. And so that's where like things shift from, hey, we're only thinking about this in a prospect universe to being like, okay, let's not stop at, they've signed a contract. Let's build out our whole customer lifecycle management process that looks How do we manage the implementation well? How do we help them as they're adopting? How do we do ongoing communications to inform them of new features, new products that are coming out that they could be considering, invites to events and learning opportunities, all the way through, how do we help engage them at renewal and in the next upgrade, right? If they do upgrade to a different package, it's like, great, now we have to think back to, what did we do to implementation to begin with? Because they just bought a new product. So, you know, in our world, we're really thinking about, like, how do I create a multi-year communication plan for our customers to make sure that we're engaging in all the right times and not being overly bothersome?
0: Right. And, And I guess, too, you probably have different levels of investment depending on the tier, right? Like, there's probably some white glove clients. Then you've got, like, the next rung, again, just based on their size of contract with you guys um, going down to maybe even more, you know, lighter touch self-service models. Right. So you probably have tiers of those as well. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Yeah. Yep. It is. Um, It is when, you know, when we think about, when I think about it from a CRO lens, uh, just thinking about the economics of the business, you know, we, we have to invest appropriately to make sure that, you know, we have the right support, but not overly supporting, so that we diminish our ability to invest in our product, in our platform, in the overall experience for our buyers, as well as our clients in our marketplace.
0: Yeah. One thing that I see a lot of with the CS organization is trying to upskill them to have more business or strategic conversation, because oftentimes Mm -hmm. there's you know, stuck kind of in the features, functions, tech support, how do I do this? You know, I need another license, whatever it is, that kind of transactional stuff. But like, as you were talking about, like, how do you get them to a position where they can give advice, right? Like not just how you do something on our technology, but, oh, you're trying to grow your, you know, intent function or drive more leads through G2, like, or, or, you know, how do you, how do you upscale the team? to do that?
1: Yeah, there's two parts to it. I mean, the first one is we really, uh, we're even kind of thinking through this right now is like, what does our future profile look like for people in the seat based on the direction that our platform is going in, our product set is going in, because you could be amazing today. And this is part of uh, my leadership pillars that I, I work on with my team. Is like talent management is an ongoing process. Just because you're a peak performer in our vernacular today doesn't mean you're gonna be peak next year because we're, we're not static. Like our offering continues to evolve. The market's use of our offering continues to evolve. you got to evolve with it. So it, it starts from the profile of what is gonna most likely put somebody in a point of success. And then the two paths for us are for the existing team, how ready are they? And we put sales enablement materials in place. We put training programs in place. We put collaboration sessions in place to help the existing team to continue to evolve their knowledge and their expertise. And then the second path is we look for different profiles. Right? We have different profiles within our CSM organization of folks we've brought in recently who would have tremendous expertise in our buyer intent. Like they come from agency worlds, media worlds, like they get activation. They get how people run media campaigns. And that's very complimentary to a lot of the people we have on the team, but it's also just like deeper knowledge because they've been living it for years. Right. And So running those two paths helps everybody to continue to grow within their role to be you know, very successful um, and you know, help each other out to, to get to where they wanna be within their careers.
0: Yeah, and, and, and so when you layer that on kind of the growth objectives, just like um, are you also looking at not just renewals, but growth within the customer base, right? And how do you, how do you go about thinking and programmatically finding, seeking growth opportunities, is that done through your CS function? Or is that done with like the seller kind of coming back? Or how, how do you kind of think about growth within the customer base?
1: Yeah, we have a pod structure. So we have client pods, uh, different ratios, depending on, you know, the different parts uh, of the business that you're in. But the concept is similar, where I'm in a partner, we have like, we're working together with a set of customers. And so together, we're going to, as I talk about it internally, we're going to divide and conquer. right? Like, As a CSM, I am all about implementation, helping them with adoption, helping them use what they have. Mm-hmm. As an RM, I'm going to be helping in that process, but not in the day-to-day. Right? But I'm going to make sure that all the right people, I'm building relationships with, you know, if, if the CSM is working with more, you know, the day-to-day leaders, the managers, maybe the director-level teams, my RM relationship manager is hopefully, you know, knowledgeable and and, and engaged with the director and the VP. And it's like, hey, by the way, we got these new things coming, like your team's doing awesome with X. This new stuff we have coming is going to help make X better. Should we start talking about whether or not this is a fit for you guys, whether or not you're ready for this, whether or not you're interested in this, like, can, can I share more information? So the relationship managers tend to be the new idea stuff but we don't stop our csms like i really strongly encourage our csms who are experts in g2 and all of our products and they have so many examples of customers doing awesome right. stuff it's like share that knowledge right don't share confidential information but just share like hey there's a lot of companies out there that are doing why right. we should try that we should see if it works like This is a a new case study we just published. Like there's some really good techniques. We should test these things out and see if they work. And so I want the CSM doing that. And part of that is exposing them to other parts of our offering. It's like we're seeing amazing performance uplift in media campaigns that are using buyer intent paired with G2's licensed content. It's like, what if we tested that? Right. What if we changed the rotation and pulled, you know, one of our content assets into the five or six assets that you're promoting right now and just see how it performs relative to others. Right. And to me, that is part of what a CSM can do really well is just help the customer optimize to deliver right. the best outcome. Right. No, that's great. Well, thank you
0: for sharing that. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you how you kind of navigated your career. How did you end up as
1: a CRO? Yeah, uh, when I was on the marketing side, um, I always worked really closely with sales, right? There was just, I I, I kind of in early, early days of my career, um, I was with my CMO dropped into our New York office uh, after, this was way back, uh, you know, kind of right after Enron happened and things were going poorly with the economy. Um, we were dropped into New York to help with the turnaround. And I, I started running field marketing and I didn't know that much about marketing, but I was out there with a sales team. I was learning a ton about what it took to build relationships, to close deals, and trying to figure out like how does marketing help in that process? So from early on, I, you know, I was always thinking from like a sales lens. And ultimately, I think this is truly kind of transformational for me is like I was thinking about the customer. Right. I was, it wasn't theoretical. It wasn't working spreadsheets and numbers to get to the outcome. I was like, all right. I've actually been in the room presenting to customers with the sales team. I've been leading workshops. Like I I see this is difficult. You've got to build trust. You've got to build a relationship to get somebody to want to spend their money with you. And you got to prove to them and then live up to it afterwards. It's like I can't just sit back and run campaigns, throw leads over the fence. But forming that perspective of sales Uh, always made me stay close to sales. And eventually I hit that point that just said like, dang, if I'm going to become like a really good CMO in the future, I should probably get some direct sales leadership experience and just learn it from the other side. And uh, once I moved over to sales, I was fortunate enough to make the transition over to LinkedIn uh, where they were looking to bring somebody in that had Marketing operator experience that could help them learn more about yeah, that's how marketing solutions could be a great fit for you know, the technology companies that they were already seeing some success with. And so I was just really fortunate to find the right opportunity and, and the right leader in Jonathan Lister, who was, you know, looking for somebody to take a chance on and bring a marketer over and you know teach them some of the sales stuff. And so I was I was fortunate. And then once I was on the sales side, I just realized I ain't going back. I love it. I love, love, love working with the customers, yeah. you know, working with the Rev.org. Like it's, it is my personality type. Awesome.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that too. And so where can we follow you online, Mike?
1: Yeah, LinkedIn is the best place uh, to follow me. That is where uh, I'm working on some new thought leadership blogs that I'll be posting there. So looking for me at uh, Mike D. Weir on LinkedIn is the best place from there. Uh, you'll see my twitter handle is mike d weir 21 um i am not on twitter as much but you know linkedin is is where i do a lot of my networking and thought leadership
0: fantastic well thank you again for coming on to the revenue hustle I'm excited to share this with you and your community and 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 with the revenue hustle community as well there's a lot of uh, wisdom you dropped today so thank you again and look to it again soon
1: sounds great thanks Tom.
0: thank you for tuning in to the revenue hustle This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at NineLenses.com. See you next time.